Hi, this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters. I'm happy to be back with you again. And we're now on episode 11. So this episode was uh, just as I was really going through a bunch of materials and things, getting, you know, writing, getting my podcast ready, my outline of what I was going to talk about. There were some random things, um, very important, but just little things that don't you know, merit like a whole episode on that I kind of put together, just things you should go know. So it's like DRB, BCMR, some law matters you should know. So different little things, snippets of uh, things I want to tell you just to make you aware of. They're important enough that I wanted to mention them to you, but um, did not merit their own podcast. So um, I, let me actually just start out with this. I might've mentioned it at some point in some podcast, but I mean, I always get the question of, well, should I go in person to the board? This only applies to DRB. Remember, for BCMR, you're not entitled to go in person. But, you know, should you go to the board? Well, as every lawyer or any lawyer would answer, it depends. And it's really the truth. It really depends. I don't know when I talk to a client. I'm not absolutely positive when I look at a case whether the person should go until I'm really into the weeds, until I've talked to the client, until I've known every little aspect of that person's case. I've dug through every little thing in their records. Then I have an idea. But it's it's hard to tell, other than in cases where there's a clear, remember I said impropriety, where there's a legal error on its face that's so obvious that you send it in and they're going to correct it. Other than that, the other cases, it really depends. It depends on your case. It depends on how you're going to hold up. They get to ask you questions. So is there like some damaging things that would come out if you were questioned? Um, is it something you made a mistake? You want to go in there? You want to swear to tell the truth and admit it, acknowledge it, but tell them everything going on and why you need to have your discharge upgrade, why it's important for your case. So as I said, it depends. Um, not sure. Um, the great thing is you have that option. And obviously, you know, the whole thing about with the DRB, you're allowed to have a document review first and it's not, it's not, um, if you're not, it's not granted, you then have a chance to go in person. The only problem I'm not, you know, it's not, it, it could be a problem in that it takes so long. So you do a document review, let's say you wait a year for that. Now you're waiting another year for a board. I'm exam, I'm kind of like guessing because I've seen cases take a long time because they have a lot of cases really, but there's no guarantee. I mean, that might just double the time. Whereas if you think, okay, I've got a case, I'm just going to go in person, which again, oh, by the way, going in person takes longer too, because they don't have as many opportunities for boards in person. So it's all, it's wow. I just thought of that aspect too. So it's kind of a thing where, you know, if I have a client, I tell them everything. I say, okay, well, if we do a document review, uh, I think it's better if you go in person, but if you go in person, you know, it's going to take longer because they can all have so many boards. They can have boards every second because they have all those other cases to do. So it depends. I wouldn't really worry about it. Just worry about the fact that you need to get something in before 15 years, if you're going to go a DRB and then you could, try to figure that out later. But if you're going to do it yourself, I guess, oh, another thing is expense. If you don't live near the DRBs, which are all in the DC area, you may not, you know, have time or you're just from work. You can't take time off to fly here, go to the board or the money. You may not be able to afford it. So that's, I guess, another factor in your decision. But let's say money was not an issue. Then if you've got a case where just like justice is not going to serve, justice will not be served by just words on paper, you might want to consider going. So other things to think about. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about, but the board is a chance for you to like in person, you know, take the stand, take, 
uh, swear to tell the truth and, and face these board members and, and plead to them. And they're going to examine your credibility and your sincerity and all that other kind of stuff. So it could help or frankly could hurt you too, is all I could say at this point. Um, so, and, and one thing they ask is like, how is this upgrade going to make a huge difference in, in your life? Like, how is this going to help you? Well, you know, I, I, I guess that's a question that, you know, I guess it's important for certain people, but I really don't think that should be the, like the trigger. We're going to upgrade it only if it's going to make a huge impact because a huge impact for certain people could be, well, I'm not going to get my VA disability if it's not upgraded from an OTH to a general, which is a huge impact, right? For someone who's struggling financially, but someone else could say, well, I'm 75 and I don't have any VA disability. That's not an issue, but I don't want to go to my grave with this. So it's not going to financially, but mentally, emotionally, it's going to impact them. So I guess they just kind of want to know how, why you're doing this is what they're trying to figure out. So Another thing I read somewhere is there's, you know, ever since these, this guidance, that's why I talked in length about all this, the DOD guidance, the Wilkie, the memo, the Carson memo, the Curta memo, the Hegel memo is because a lot of those are very applicable, especially to this, uh, you know, the liberal guidance for PTSD, mental health disorder, you know, including mental health disorders, including PTSD, um, TBI, uh, sexual assault or sexual harassment victims who then develop mental health disorders or PTSD. So there's uh, over 50% of the applications have some component of that. From what I understand, I'm, I don't know that for a fact, but a lot of them do. Um, there's a lo lot more record reviews actually, again, because a lot of people can't, you know, take off or it's expensive to travel to the board. Um, but generally these liberal guidance memos have increase the workload of these boards. Before that, it was not as, you know, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there were still a lot of cases, but not like now. It's it increased quite a bit. Um, one, okay, so I'm on my next topic of like a fact to know or, or my professional opinion. So let's say you're filing an application, whether it's to the DRB or BCMR, and you have some pending VA issue that's going to actually um, hinge on like this liberal guidance PTSD. Unless they say it's going to take a year for that to be resolved, I generally like to wait till I have everything um, before I submit the application, so long as you're not going to miss a deadline of 15 years, et cetera, because it just gets messy when you're like sending addendums. I've done cases where I'm like, oh, add this to the file and I email it and I mail it, you know, certified mail and everything, but it's a lot cleaner Then I'm like, okay, did they actually get it? Did they upload it? Did I, I really like to just have everything together rather than sending it piecemeal. This is not like you have to do it. It's just a little practical tip recommendation. Again, unless you're nearing a deadline and the VA is not going to get back to you for two years. But again, the, the VA determination could be very important on the DRB's case if they do say, yep, he has PTSD or she has PTSD. So one thing I've seen um, some of the services do, it's it's really kind of nice. Like they, once they get an application, they send you another letter like, hey, we got your application, but it seems like, did you actually like, you know, on these cases, we need certain evidence to show you have a mental health disorder, et cetera. And we don't see that. Like they kind of give you a reminder, but you I know, mean, a lot of cases it's it's already submitted and sometimes they miss it. But, you know, some of the services do send a letter acknowledging it and then saying, you know, we don't have X or Y, which is I think it's nice because they're telling you rather than denying it and then you wait another year. I really like that. It's it's a nice courtesy. It's like something I would think of, 
you know, rather than being bureaucratic and saying denied, you don't have this. It's nice for them to say, we have this, but it seems like this is missing. Do you want to submit it before we finalize this? I think that's really good. It's very customer service oriented, customer meeting the applicant. So I, I think that's great. Then, um, by the way, I saw the Navy has like a little app I downloaded to look at it, but it's the Navy DRB. So it's a cool way you can download it for free from the app store. But it's a little app of if you're doing a DRB application that gives you some pointers and things you should know and evidence. So that's a neat little thing that you can uh, look at. Um, another thing, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention again of why your personnel records are important. People, you know, sometimes call and say, well, I don't have my records, but this was unfair. Well, you need your records because I've seen cases where like people say, well, I, you know, this is what happened. And then this is why they discharge me. But then we get their records as in a different reason and not because the person's lying, but maybe they don't remember. So it, it's going to be really bad if you don't have your records and you're saying, please update my discharge because, you know, this is what happened and this is why I did X, Y, and Z. Then you get your records and it's like totally different. And then the board gets those records as well. And that's not going to bode well for your application. So it's important to get your records, like the, the notification memo and the disciplinary action, as well as medical records. I, I comb through all the records. Like the records have like little golden nuggets that can help or hurt you, but there's medical records where you perhaps you know, it's not protected and you told your counselor something that's in contradiction to what you told someone else. So those things can hurt you. Um, so it's important to get your records to remind yourself of what you did, what you told people in the military. Okay. So, um, another thing, a little thing to mention in this like potpourri of different things is the statute for the discharge review board is 10 USC 1553. They have a provision in there that actually says if you have a discharge upgrade based on PTSD or traumatic brain injury, and again, it doesn't have to be deployment related. It could be due to P military sexual trauma or whatever. You can get, um, basically a priority consideration. It, the services have to try to expedite those cases. But of course, they have a lot of those, so they have to then put them in a stacking order. But those cases do try to get priority because they understand an upgrade could mean whether you get medical care or not, etc. So just something to realize. But also, if you're doing an application, put that on your DD-293. This applies to DRB cases, not BCMR, according to the statute. So put it on like right on the top somewhere and say, this is please expedite in accordance with that 10 USC 1553 because this has to do PTSD. So at least the pe person who like gets it in the mail and like is sorting it can put it in that other pile. I've asked like the service, I'm like, Hey, when you get these, how do you like sort them? And they're like, well, we have a different pile. And you know, I forget which service told me that, but I asked them like, how do you do that so that they get priority? And, and the guy on the phone, again, I don't remember which service he said, we put them in a different pile and it gets like uploaded differently. So I'm sure all the services have a different system, but if you don't, they're still going to find it out when it gets assigned, but you want to have them find that out right away by looking at your DD-293. Okay. Um, another thing is the um, 10 USC 1557. This is the BCMR statute, right? So this applies to Board for Correction of Military Record Applications, and it actually has a little thing in there that says there's a timeline. So BCMR cases, generally 90% of them should be done within 10 months and then 10% within 18 months of receipt. That's not happening, especially in some services because they're so inundated. I think they're trying to get more staff, but 
I mean, they do take long. I'd rather them take long than rubber stamp and deny cases, frankly, because if they really, you know, look at these carefully, it does take a while. And then they have a board, so they have to gather board members, and these members are from, you know, sometimes for the BCMR, they're civilians. So they, you know, there's a lot that goes into these boards. But just so you know, like there are timelines, so you could check, like, hey, it's been two years. Like, where's my case? I know 90% needs to be done within 10 months and 10 with you know, 10% within 18. So you can like follow up about, but there is a statute of that. And I know there's some, you know, there is, there are, um, you know, statutes and in, in the organizations that try to like, you know, call them, <laughs> call the DOD on and say, hey, you're not doing these cases on time. So something you should know about. Um, the other thing is, for the uh, 10 USC 1552 correction of military records. Okay. This is the one that applies to board for correction of military records or Naval records. There is a provision in that, that talks about, remember I mentioned the reading room. So there are like public sites. You can actually go on them and look at cases. So you can see like cases similar to yours or kind of look at precedent. You know, precedent is important because it kind of shows the reasoning, but again, every case is different, of course, and it's not like, you know, there's no case that's going to be alike, but if you have a case very similar and they're decided differently, I mean, it could be like, okay, why is that different other than maybe you have different board members, but if the facts are very similar, it shouldn't be like an, uh, like a disparate vote, in my opinion, if it meets the criteria, especially like the PTSD cases. But uh, anyway, the reading room was down for a while, but they are putting it back up. So that's great. So I think by, you know, through January to March, they should have all those cases back up. But you can, um, I'll try to, yeah, once it's back up, I'll put the site up somewhere or mention it on the podcast. But it's not back up to my knowledge as of yesterday. I'll have to check again. Um Okay, so that's the correction of military records. I just want to tell you there's actually a statute that says that there has to be a centralized internet website that allows people, the public, to look at. Again, it's redacted cases. It's never going to have your name or information. Like, no one's going to know it's you because they redact that as they should. No, these are not public records like courts martial or public trials, but it will have like the facts of the case so that people reading it could say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And this is similar and read the rationale of them. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that there are organizations basically that, you know, do there's attorneys that help you with these, there's VSOs that help you with these discharge upgrades, but there's also these like pro bono organizations in, in DC and actually all over, but there's some, and I actually, you know, did a couple of podcasts where I interviewed someone too, but for example, there's some organizations that help people specifically if it's PTSD related, OTH discharges, best thing is to call them to see if they can help, but they work with law firms and lawyers who might be able to help them. Um, with these, you know, app veterans cases, but um, there, there's the National Veterans Legal Services Program. I said that slowly, <laughs> so you could just Google it. So it's the National Veterans Legal Services Program, NVLSP. It's in DC. You don't have to be in DC to call them. You could just um, call, like I, I'm thinking on their website, you can email them and you could see if they can help you. Again, my memory, it, it's, it's, specifically, I believe related to like PTSD, but it, it might've changed. So just check that out. There's also something called the Veterans Consortium Pro Bono Program. That's also in DC. 
Veterans Consortium Pro Bono Program. I think it has similar criteria, generally PTSD related, but they all do really good work. These are the ones like the NVLSP, like are they sued the Department of Defense to say, hey, you know, where's the, the reading room's been down? Like they really, um, you know, they advocate for veterans. They do things that, you know, attorneys can't do. So that's, you know, good for them to help. They do this for veterans and it's pro bono and they don't charge you. So there's another, again, I read a lot about these cases. I've seen there's a clinic in at Harvard, Veterans Legal Clinic at Harvard Law School. I'm sure a lot of, I think GMU, George Mason University in the DC area has a clinic. I'm not sure. Like I haven't dealt with them, but I pretty sure they have a clinic. So you can Google any law school near you. They might have a clinic that helps, you know, they have law students as interns help veterans and do their cases. And again, I don't think you have to be right where they are because as I said, I don't even like meet most of my clients unless we go to a board. I meet them on the phone, but not in person. So Harvard Law School has a really good clinic. It's called the Veterans Legal Clinic at Harvard Law School in Massachusetts. There was the Veteran Legal Services Clinic at Yale in Connecticut. Again, you could try to contact these. There's something called the Veterans Advocacy Project in Manhattan um, in New York City that helps veterans. Um, there's, uh, sw swords to plowshares in San Francisco that also does a lot of work. I've seen, they have a very robust website. So anyway, there's also pro bono. So don't think if you don't have the money, like some of these organizations, depending on type of case discharge help. So there are like, and then VSOs of course, but with these, these are like lawyers that help or like law students. And then actually the, the ones in DC, they actually work with, cause they can't handle it with like a staff of 10. They have law firms who have lawyers who like pro bono help. And, you know, they're pretty, you know, pretty good attorneys. So Anyway, um, yeah, that's those are like the hodgepodge things I want to mention. They were just kind of random things that I wanted to mention. Um, again, I said this, but on my website, uh, fairosbeck.com, I have a little guide. Um, it's not a little guide, actually. It's pretty um, comprehensive, but I have some sample templates for personal statements, for character statements, for witness statements, and just some basic information. Um, I think in this podcast series, I've gotten into a lot more, at least like talking, because I like tend to talk, talk and go on. I think there's more detail in the stuff I'm talking about, but you know, you might just want to listen or might want to download that. It's free. You can like download it, just put your email in it. You download it instantaneously, review that. So, um, yeah, so I, that was my little, um, hodgepodge of material that I think is important for you to know. And I wanted to mention that all to you. Um, and again, those pro bono organizations might be good organizations for you to contact. So there is help out there. There's a lot of good people that help that, you know, try to advocate for veterans and, um, thank goodness, honestly, because yeah, we know, uh, you know, veterans need help. So there's a lot of good people out that, that do that pro bono that, you know, advocate, you know, NGOs and all that. So there are people out there to help you. So anyway, I am excited because guess what? We, uh, we really made some headway and now we're almost on actually the next one is episode 12, which is the last episode. And that's going to be just to tell you the preview that's going to talk about the VA and how they're able to help people with OTH discharges other than an honorable discharges, because, you know, it's a vicious cycle, right? You got an OTH, you can't get care. Well, you kind of can. So I'm going to just point you to a couple of organizations in the VA that can get you help. So it's really important. I hope you listen to that. 
And if it doesn't apply to you, listen so you can tell people about it. But that's the next episode. It'll be a short one. But yeah, this has been really, I'm, I'm so happy I've been able to get this out, honestly. And I had a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm really glad I finally got it out. And I look forward to uh, talking to you next time. Until next time, never, ever give up because there is always hope. Take care.